A podcast of the cinema. And you're thinking, another episode already? What? Already. Those guys are on the ball. Well, it's the last one they was really, late. They've really got it together now. Now we're trying to get back onto a, into our groove. Those guys. We're trying to get our groove back. Everything is everything is always on point with those two. Tay Diggs will be here at any moment. Um, On a day like today. Yes. When... It's not it's not hot or anything. No. It's just sort of like I want the windows and doors open because I like the sort of cool coolness. We get the breezes. You crank up that theme music. And I wonder sometimes, like passing people, particularly people who live in this building mm-hmm. who can hear it. And they hear it like five times a week. <laughs> They're looking for the ice cream truck. What do they think it is? Like, do they think it's just a song that we enjoy here? A 30-second song that we enjoy hearing every day? <laughs> I, I, I wonder sometimes, because we, are, we now live in a building yeah. where we no longer know anyone else who lives here. True. We used to know several of our neighbors. They all moved away during the pandemic mm. in 2020 and then 2021. And now new folks have moved in, and we don't know a single person in this building. So we, other than being looked at and thought of as, oh, look, it's the old it's people. It's the old guys. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I often wonder, like, if they think, what is, what do they do, and why are they always here? A lot and of people aren't here during that, the day, so that, I don't... What is that music coming out? <laughs> no, a lot of them are here during the day. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, you know. This is a, a a pocket of Los Angeles full of freelancers. And I know this because they're all out walking their dogs. True. I see them oh, all. Oh, I forgot to tell you. Why? By the way, you're Dave White. I'm Alonzo Durrell. Right. Film critics were married to each other. Um, so when I was taking stuff down to the trash uh, and you had to put a thing on the, you know, that stoop by the that bush that is between the two buildings. Yes. People are using that bush as a hiding place to to toss their little plastic baggies of dog turds. Oh, cool! Yeah, that's great. That's I love great. that. I love that about the a holes who live. Super in this considerate to litter with their dog leavings. I don't know what 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 would you say regarding this little pocket of West Hollywood, mm-hmm. which is itself a little pocket of Los Angeles. Yes. What would you say is a worse deal? The neighborhood we moved into in 1999 or the neighborhood that we have now? Which, by the Mm. way, is the same neighborhood. Now, when we moved into this neighborhood in 1999, it was borderline... A a tad sketchy. It was, yeah, it it was borderline, like, sometimes sketchy. Yeah. It is no longer sketchy. No. At all. Not even remotely. No. Um... Now it's overpriced. Now it's super overpriced. And the people who have moved in here 
into all the new condos that have sprung up mm-hmm. and the rents that have skyrocketed. Um, Thank goodness for our rent for, control. For, yes, exactly. We will always ring the bell for West Hollywood's impeccable rent control. Woo-hoo. Now, when you move into a, a West Hollywood apartment now and you're spending a, an insane amount of money, mm-hmm. you still have that rent control. But you're but you're just gonna keep it this, like if you stay here twenty years, twenty years from now you'll be like, well, guess what? I what kind of rent I pay? Well, yeah, exactly. Like, It'll uh, seem it like was, nothing. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, and I think I think there's something about our rent control also that like that uh, that, that we it, got in before an even an even like different version of it yes. came along. That possibly yeah, true. like we're still riding the really good one. I from keep 1999. I can never get over that. That line reading from Sarah Jessica Parker in uh, and, ju- <laughs> and just like that, I've lived here for twenty three years. My rent is two dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I felt very attacked by that. Uh, yeah, between Our that rent and is the, not two dollars. Between, between that and the salon pass, I was like, be, get out of my life, and just like that. Wouldn't it be great if our rent was two dollars? Oh, sure. Um, like yeah, okay, I, I don't so know which is more annoying. There were like. Crimes that yes. took place in the neighborhood when we first moved here, and actual... and now there are no more crimes, but there are just jerks. Yeah, like jerks with money, and they're all like under thirty-five years old. The crime people and... were kind of better neighbors in a way. <laughs> they were less annoying. They kept to themselves, <laughs> except for the one guy who left his meth equipment in the back of his pickup truck on a sunny ex- day and it blew day, up. It exploded. That yes. was hilarious. Um, the. Uh, yeah, I don't know what I don't know what I like. Do I like occasional crimes or do I like crushing entitlement? Yeah, it's hard. Sometimes call me on a different day and I'll give you a different answer. Sure, don't always seem to go. But you don't know what you got till it's gone. Um. So, have you apologized to uh, Viola Davis yet for hurting her feelings? I don't know what I did or what I said, but I feel very bad about it. Yeah, now I, I'm also seeing interpretations of the Viola Davis gave an interview in which she said that critics served no purpose because apparently, I mean, okay, sure, you and I don't serve any real purpose, yeah, but, but like, no more or less than some, actors do. Some I of think. them, some of them are very important. Yes, it's just we just aren't them. Apparently, some people said some some not nice things about her well, work what were in they the even, first lady when they insulted her. What were they? Whoever insulted her? Well, what were they insulting the her over? From, I haven't even paid attention. From to what this from what I'm hearing, story. it's actually the, she's mad at like Twitter people, like not not, oh. not professional critics, but Twitter people who complained about like the way that she had to hold her mouth to play Michelle Obama or something really? like that. Yeah. I don't so know. so so okay. So not. Critics who do who do criticking for a living. Well, that's I'm not that's, I'm that's not clear. Us. I have to dig deeper. But I'm told that that, that, that that she was not talking about us. She was talking about mean <laughs> talking randos about you, on Twitter. You specifically. I've been nothing Rally. but lovely to Viola Davis, <laughs> and I have the receipts to prove. I mow her lawn for her for free. <laughs> I think I even said nice things just about her. So, just so I can bask in her presence, I would I would actually mow her lawn for her. If she, for no money, if she just asked me, I'd be like, you know what? I like you so much. I'm going to do it. If there would be like lemonade and a porch chat after, yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe, maybe some lemonade. Uh, well, lemonade's always good. Um, do you think? Okay, <laughs> so we don't know the source of the of the of the problem. We just know that she's mad because somebody insulted her on Twitter. Yes, 
Well, you know what? She has a right to have her feelings hurt because people are super mean on Twitter. Oh, well, sure. Yes, no. And <laughs> if she's talking about just like your garden variety social media trolls, then yeah, she's right. But I, I hope she doesn't mean people who are professional <laughs> critics because I think generally speaking, we've been you know, supportive ever... of Viola Davis and of her projects that are not generally here's Suicide question Squad I... apart. Like, you know, here's a question I have. Mass audience kind of thing. Have I ever seen her not be awesome in anything? I mean, nothing leaps to mind. She she was good in, you know, Medea Goes to Jail. Right. Um, I, like granted, the movie we, might not be good, but like she's always yeah. like a welcome presence. We never watched the Evelyn Murder Show. No, we never did. No. And the only reason I didn't watch it because her name wasn't Evelyn Murder in the show. And I thought that having... Wouldn't it be great if your last name was Murder? <laughs> no matter what. How to get away with me? I like your first name was Tiffany, but <laughs> your last name was Murder. <laughs> People wouldn't know how to be around you. They'd be like, mm, "Oh, Tiffany, Murder." <laughs> that sounds like somebody who'd be in like a death metal band. Yeah. Well, on Metalocalypse, the show Metalocalypse, one yes. of the members of the band was named Murderface. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So that's what you're thinking of, I think. Well, you know, we're, you know, just like, uh, you know, uh, Twiggy, uh, uh, you know, the people in Marilyn Manson band. With all their name, like like the model name and the murderer murderer name. name. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so this is a podcast of the cinema? It is. We have some cinema. We do. To talk about this week. Uh, Where are, where's my list? Golly, Dave, I don't know. Uh, Why don't we start? With the Northman. Sure. Because. Field of Corpses. Speaking of Metalocalypse. Indeed. <laughs> uh, synopsize, please. Oh, okay, sure. Um, uh, a young Viking prince witnesses the murder of his father, the king, at the hands of uh, his uncle, who steals away the boy's mother, the queen. Uncle played by. Kleis Bang. Klaus Bang. Klaus Bang. Yeah, I went and looked it up because I was like, you know what? You're from Denmark, and I don't know how to say your name. So I, I went to the internet. Klaus. Where everything is true. Klaus Bang. Klaus Bang. Yeah. Yes. Murders uh, King Ethan Hawke, uh, steals away Queen Nicole Kidman, who is, you know, queen of us all. And a uh, young boy grows up obsessed with revenge, becomes... Alexander Skarsgård with a 24-pack and... Uh, I heard someone call it the King's Hawaiian. <laughs> that's a good one, right? That is a good one. I don't one. know who invented that. And I saw it on the internet and I was like, that's a good description. Yeah. Got the King's Hawaiian. <laughs> um, he is a, he's Are those a, roles available all nationwide? Can you so. buy King's I, Hawaiian I think, roles I think, everywhere? I think you can get them on your, in, well, your, they are, in your grocery store. They're freezer. very delicious and they describe... The abdominal muscles of Alexander Stark. Yes. Okay. So uh, he's a he's he grows up to be a marauder, a wolfman, you know, pelt wearing like yeah thing. Anyway, yeah. Uh, and comes to find out that a bunch of villagers that they have just enslaved are being carted off to a farm that is run by Uncle Klaus and uh, Mommy Nicole. So he brands himself as a slave, uh, mixes in with them, and and travels. To the uh, to the 
distant land to get his revenge. Along the way, falls in love with uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, who is uh, one of the captured uh, people. And she has her own version of being determined. Uh, yes. Uh, one of my favorite lines from her. She says, you break their, you break their bodies. I'll break their minds. Yes. <laughs> This is a Robert. Robert, Robert uh, so they are. It's a Robert Eggers film, and she is the Vavitch. The, the, the they are the uh, they are the fun couple <laughs> of this movie. <laughs> They're the Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> uh, and so yeah, so they get there, and apparently, like not long after Kleis, um, uh, uh you know, murdered the old king, uh, he in turn got booted out by like the king of Norway or whatever. Right. So now it's. They run a farm that is also a Freya cult. And, yes. <laughs> and Alexander Skarsgård is uh, biding his time. But then when it when the, when the time comes for the big show, um, everything is not quite as cut and dry as he imagined. No, it is not. How do we feel about the Northmen? How do, what do we think about the Northmen? I thought it was swell. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, you, you think you're the only person who can enjoy a, 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 a bloody riot of a film, but I had a great time. I don't think I'm the only person. I just think that generally I'm the only person in this house. Well, that's what I mean. Who enjoys that sort of thing. Um, it I is, like any genre if you do it real well. Well, this, they do it. He, Mr. Eggers yeah. has done it real well here. Um, what I found fascinating about seeing it with you, uh, sitting right next to you, at the Dolby uh, Labs yes. screening room, which, by the way, if you can become a professional film critic in your life and live in Los Angeles and go to press screenings at the Dolby Labs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when you say the labs, imagine like a wall of test tubes. Well, I mean, that's what they call themselves. So, it like, is, yes. Um, there is no laboratory. Uh, well, not on that floor. Not on that floor. But I almost didn't want to go on that day to that place because mm. I've been to screenings there. And the sound is a double-edged sword <laughs> at Dolby. It's you, a tangible thing. You are pummeled by the sound at that place. And they only invite you to screenings there where the sound design is meant to both wow you and crush you. Yeah, I saw Fury Road and A Star is Born in there. Yeah, and I saw Gravity there. Oh, and, wow. uh, you know, other stuff. Other other loud movies. <laughs> um, this was a, a, a loud movie. Y yes. Uh, but it felt important uh, to be there with the loudness. Yes. Uh, in the same way that it feels important to be in a live show from the band Sun, for example, where halfway through, maybe you're having a, a problem with your bowels because of the low frequencies. <laughs> Please wear earplugs. Uh, or not. You know, do what you want. I um, you are a walking testimony of why to wear people your should wear earplugs. I don't mean okay, but you're not saying wear your earplugs to this movie. No, no, I meant no, no, to see no. Sun. Oh yeah, of course, and I did wear earplugs to see Sun. Yes, it was almost enough. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, 
this is a movie that's loud and people are yelling at each other nonstop and screaming uh, dialogue like, we will rage on the battlefield of corpses. Yes. And Bones... Which is one of my favorite uh, lines. Bones make a lot of noise when they're hit. When they, when they crunch. Yeah. <laughs> There's a there's a sports sequence in this movie. Death Quidditch. Yeah. That's what they play. They play Death Quidditch. It's like the lacrosse cricket version of rollerball. <laughs> Man, that that ball hits some skulls. Uh okay, so as you can guess from what we're saying, aesthetically, uh this is a heavy, mm-hmm. gnarly, bloody, brutal, violent Horny? Sometimes. At times, yeah. yeah. Um, this is the movie equivalent of one of those shirts that you have of a band that has an umlaut in his name. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it, is, it is a metal film. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, that's true. It just is. Without any literal, like, guitar licks. Right. I, um... What I what I what I really appreciate about this, and I'm 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 about to go back to what I liked about seeing it with you uh, mm, yeah. here, which is normally when I see a film this brutal with you, your hands are over your eyes quite <laughs> often, and I don't recall that happening even once here. Yeah. You. You clockwork oranged yourself through the whole thing. Like, you watched every nasty but death that takes place. In no way did I have to yeah. make myself do that because it was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is a, It is such a gorgeous yeah. film. The sound design, the every, every, this is one of those every composition, every frame, like, is one of those one, picture. one perfect shot. You know, yeah. like, that's the whole movie. Um, and you know, thematically, you know, as a critic, sometimes you're called upon to talk about whether something is an artistic triumph and sometimes you're called to talk about why it exists. Sure. And I always, at at this point in my, in my life as a film critic, I'm more inclined to talk about why the film exists, Mm -hmm. why we have it here now and why it was made here and now right. and what it means here and now rather than say, well, I really like this performance, but not that one, you know, like, well, there's that's always... less important to me as I get older to, because uh, these are, you know, almost everything is a pretty competently made movie these days. If it winds up in the theater, unless it's that new Liam Neeson movie that's coming out this week. Ooh. We'll talk about that next time. Or, or, you know, something like, uh, Something that's sort of like very much an outsider film, like Dangerous Men or whatever. Surfer Teen Confronts Fear. Yeah, stuff like that. You, you are more, you're more likely to mean something as a critic if you can suss out why it exists right. here. Well, Dave, there's always room for Hamlet. Yes, there is always room for <laughs> Hamlet, and. Currently, 2022 feels like a world that's spinning off its axis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm on, I'm on Twitter. I don't 
tweet much, but I'm there. I'm looking. I'm, I'm watching. And there is one particular account that I follow where there's a lot of... This person is pretty right-wing. And I, and I go to this account and I look at it because I want to know what this particular person is thinking. And this talk, person talks a lot about revenge. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, this person has no reason to seek revenge on anyone, just FYI. Right. But they, they like it because that's part of right-wing culture uh, now. Vengeance on, you know, Biden. <laughs> <laughs> he knows why. Yeah, he, he knows what he did. Um, I, 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 even even I, getting past the specific of vengeance, I think you can say there's definitely a segment of the population that feels very passionately driven to try and make things right for a particular, you know, powerful people, right? Or or you know, in the culture, and are they perhaps misguided like our hero? <laughs> there is, you know, obviously this is tale as old as time. You yeah. are. You want, you want revenge on the person who wronged you, yeah, or who you perceive wronged you, right? But what if everything you know about your mission is based on lies? Yeah. What if you didn't get all the information you needed, and you spent your whole life chasing something stupid? What if you are a war boy ready and, to give your life for Immortan Joe? Yeah, and what if it blows up in your face? Yeah. Obviously, the the futility of vengeance is a very old theme. Yeah. Uh, but it it has perennial relevance, and I just feel like there's so much fraught everything going on right now that mm -hmm. this just feels really meaningful right now well I, I think in my review for the rap i made a mention of like it's the lesson we never learn yeah <laughs> why do we keep telling this story because we need to keep telling this story because we never learn the lesson of it so eggers has done this it's an it's an epic but also intimate film mm -hmm. uh and actually, let's talk about the performances because Nicole, <laughs> Nicole Kidman. <clears throat> when she sits in that AMC theater. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, she's, I, I love that she will give these performances that are so not like the great lady. Right. And that she will work with the director on his right. third movie and the first two were weird. Yeah. <laughs> she uh, does what Catherine Deneuve has always yes. done. Um, you know, I'm a great beauty and I'm going to be in this uh, film called Paula X. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm going to help get this movie made in the first place by being in by it. By being in it. I... Um, there's a career trajectory for certain movie stars that precludes films like this. Yeah. You would look at something like this and you would think, no, 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 this is extreme. And I don't want to be that person yeah. in the film. Because the person she plays in this movie is 
an extreme person. Yeah. Um, this is not a this is not a, 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 a the kind of role that screams you know award possibilities. No, no, no possibility. Yeah, just just immortality. That's all. Exactly. <laughs> I love that as she's moved through her career, she has done what Colin Farrell had to learn to do, mm-hmm. and that is forget about being. A a list glamour puss, and be a character actor. Because you're going to get more interesting choices that way. Right? Yeah. So that's what she is doing for the movie going audience. Yeah. Uh, and I'm 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 very happy about that. I dig her. Uh, just I've always thought she was appealing, but yeah. The 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 more she goes and goes and goes, the more I think. You've got A-list status, A-list status in the industry, right. in the business, but you use it weirdly, and it's fun to watch. Well, like there was there was a moment where you could sense what the the one for them movies were, you know, yeah, like Bewitched and the Stepford Wives, right? And right. now I think they're all for her. Like yeah. even the movies that she makes that are that are relatively mainstream or the TV projects, right? Like they're still cool and interesting. I, I think I'd totally forgotten about it until Christy pointed out Alexander Skarsgård plays her son in this. Yes, he plays her husband on Big Little Lies. Right. Just throwing that out there, right? A little tidbit I'd forgotten about, which. Also, weirdly, does tie into this movie. It but... ties into this movie uh, quite a bit. But yeah. Um, <laughs> what was that? Bana- Nine Perfect Strangers. Yeah, that show was stupid. Yes. And she, she was is, having a blast. She's having a good time in that show. Oh, wait. What if I made her Russian? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, The Northman. Yeah. Uh, why don't you go see it mm. in a theater with, with a good sound system? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be... Blink and you'll miss Bjork. Oh, that too. She's here too. In a role in which she cannot blink. Um, <laughs> the uh, It's going to be streaming in about like three weeks. But, oh, is it really? Yeah, but if... You want, you want the big experience here, though. If you are at a place where you feel comfortable going to a movie theater with your N95 in place... I got one. This would be a movie to do that for. Yep. Because you really do want, you want to hear all those bones crushing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do. Yeah. Also, honestly, the the level of well, it, it, I'm not I'm not going to belabor this. Okay. It's <laughs> it's really I just think it's incredible. It's such a cool movie. Uh, I, it's amazing how many good movies we've had in this first third of the year. Yep. Like, usually it takes a while for the year to get going, but. You know, uh, yeah, there's a lot out there that's really great. Also, you know, including Apollo Ten and a Half on Netflix. So, you know. Hey, why don't we uh, talk about the unbearable weight of massive talent? And speaking of, also a movie that I think is really great. Uh, yes. Um, starring, I will describe. Yes, do it. Nicolas Cage plays Nicolas Cage. Uh, Nick. Whatever. <laughs> Don't, don't split hairs with me. Well, he goes by Nick in this movie. That's, you know. Or rather, don't split hair plugs with me. Oh. Um, 
All right, well, all right. Nicholas Cage is playing Nick Cage. He's also playing Nicky Cage at one yes. point. So, but it's all him. He's playing himself. We are meant to understand this to be a fictionalized version of himself, but yes. I wonder how fictionalized his personality actually is in this film. I feel like I'm really watching him be him in this film. I think he's playing on the public persona that has developed over the years, but who can say? But the public persona is one that he has actively created, and it feels authentic. Like, <laughs> I don't look at Nicolas Cage and go, well, what a movie star phony he is. I look at Nicolas Cage and I go, that dude is a weirdo. What a genuine weirdo he is. And he... <laughs> likes it that way right. and it feels like he is that guy now the we'll just say the version of Nicolas Cage he's playing in this film is one who uh, has experienced many of the things that Nicolas Cage has experienced in recent years which is debt and a string of strange films overexposure <laughs> um now, the debt part I find fascinating because what it speaks to is a level of boredom with money that, yeah, because you're like super, super, super rich people. Hmm. What do they always wind up doing? They end up buying like half a mile long yachts and castles and private islands and rocket ships and whatever, you know, like, yeah, you think to yourself, <laughs> You know, there's a there, there are a variety of charities just like <laughs> down the road. You can totally, and he, maybe you are already giving some sure. of that money. But like, he didn't go to debt ain't, opening. You ain't a, need a castle. He, yeah, exactly. He didn't go to debt like trying to do a real estate development outside no. of Palm Springs. He bought a castle and a dinosaur or something. You know? Yeah, like <laughs> which, an action comics number one. <laughs> so there's that. But then there's the the string of like weird to terrible films. Yes. Some of them weird and great, mm. some of them weird and bad. Yes. Weird and great, Mandy. Weird and bad, one with Nicole Kidman. What was the one with Nicole Kidman? Trespass. I don't remember that movie. It was directed by Joel Schumacher. Um, they spend most what of the year was that? Oh, boy. I don't remember. They spend most of the movie being held hostage in their house. I must have seen it and reviewed it. <laughs> I have no memory of this. I film. remember watching it just thinking, like, what are these people doing wasting their time with this movie? <laughs> what confluence of like international frozen assets conspired right. what to money bring laundering this talent together on this movie? Put, put this movie together. This production. Um, so here's his character in the film needs a good role. Yes. And he talks about it all the time. Yes. He wants a good role. But his agent, played by... Uh, uh, Neil Patrick Harris. Neil Patrick Harris, says, well, you know, I get you a quick million if you'll go to this, uh, this drug lord's <laughs> birthday party. Rich guy. Okay. <laughs> this rich guy's birthday party in Mallorca. All right. <laughs> And Nicolas Cage is like, no, 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 no. I need a really good role. I want to be in a film. My my uh, uh, shaman. Uh, my <laughs> my neo-shamanistic 
acting method practice <laughs> requires that I envelop myself in a role. But he takes a million books to go to be to the birthday party. He finds out that when he gets there, that not only is the guy like a big drug lord, there's Pedro Pascal. Yeah. Who, by the way, Pedro Pascal in this film is delightful he's from a, start to finish. He's darling. <laughs> and and when, also when he gets there to Mallorca, he runs into uh, two FBI agents or CIA, CIA, agents. CIA agents, played by Ike Barinholtz and Tiffany um, Haddish. Tiffany Haddish. Who say to him, oh yeah, by the way, we need you. Because that dude you're with is a drug lord and they've kidnapped a, a, candidate's a, pre- a presidential candidate's daughter and they're trying to throw the election and there's all this sort of We think she's being held on the stuff estate. And, yeah, she's being held on his estate so you have to go to his estate, figure out a way to stay longer and do spy things. And do spy things for us. And Nicolas Cage is like, yes, I can do this because I'm an actor. <laughs> So he does it, and I'm not going to give away any of the rest of the plot to you because what happens is life and art as you know it related to Nicolas Cage unfolds in a way that is, yeah, very meta, but also hilariously funny in a way that suggests he's always been in on whatever jokes you think you're making about him. He got there first. He got there first. Any weird, like, uh, personality burdens that you have decided to place on him, he's already placing on himself. He comes off, as the executive producer of this film, although not the writer or director, he comes off to me as selling you this idea of himself as a true believer in the project of acting. Right. And... Not just taking roles for money, not just taking roles because he's bored or because he has debts, but because he really believes in Captain Corelli's mandolin <laughs> or Ghost Rider, you know, or, or the Wicker Man Drive Angry or the Wicker Man remake or uh, uh, Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans Con or, Air. Yeah, all of it, everything. The Crudes Part Two. Everything. <laughs> So, if you had mixed to negative feelings about Nicolas Cage going in to see this film, you'd leave this film thinking, I think I get it. He's a solid dude. (laughs) And if you saw him on the street and wanted to talk about Croods 2, he would engage you (laughs) and talk about his process for the Croods 2. Croods 2 is a joke in the film. It's it's a punchline. Uh, another punchline in this film involves vindicating Alonzo Duralde <laughs> for his heavy-handed love and recommendations about the film Paddington 2. I'll tell you. Which I... Paddington 2 also plays a role in this movie in a variety of ways that really pay off. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm rarely ahead of the curve on things, but <laughs> between, between... The world is catching up. Between Unbearable too. Weight and yeah. Grand Crew, yeah. I feel like everybody is getting the... Wait, the what's pad- happened? What happened on Grand Crew? Oh, there's a whole episode where they where people... Everyone's s- watching Paddington 2? Yes. Oh, that's hilarious. 
The memo is finally getting out there. So. That Alonzo Duralde. <laughs> no, it's got nothing to do with me. He's right about Paddington. I just was, yeah. I just got there first. I I hope the people at the LAFCA meeting who thought that I was like doing a bit or something bit. that year, you know, have thought more about it. Uh, nouveau shamanic. Ah, there we go. Cage actually, in real life, Cage described himself and his acting process as nouveau shamanic. <laughs> and so his character as Nicolas Cage does this very thing in the film. I went and looked up this expression that he coined, in, in coined to describe himself. And when pressed on it, he said, yeah, uh, I thought it just sounded cool. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is a movie that I thought was going to be kind of just a sort of one joke pony, and it wound up to be a multiple joke pony. Multiple jokes. Uh, it is simultaneously self-aggrandizing and lovable. Yeah, and it's and funny all the way through. I had a really good time. And it, it is self-aware in a smart way and not an obvious way. Yeah, and Sharon Horgan's in it. Sharon Horgan, who we love in uh, Game Night and mm-hmm. Catastrophe, the yes. show Catastrophe. Uh, has she ever done an American accent? I she's not doing one here. She, I, no, she's doing the Irish. I, I can't think of one. I'll have to look, but I don't think so. Um, It makes me wonder if she just refuses to try. <laughs> like, you know, she, like she takes on a project and they're like, can you be from Kentucky? And she's like, no, no. <laughs> I don't think anybody wants that. I think they they want her, they want they want straight no chaser. Um, I mean, look, how often is Liam Neeson not bothering to hide his Here's accent in movies where Liam Neeson has lived over here so long. Yeah, that very much like Mel Gibson, he's almost lost the accent. Well, Mel Gibson technically was born in the United States and then moved to Australia. But yeah, but in those early films, he's true. He is Australian. What did I sounding. see recently where somebody? Like they were, they had the accent under control, but then they started yelling about something, and, and they lost it. And and you could you could hear it. Was it Nicole Kidman? Somebody recently, there was some film I saw. I was like, ah, ah, I hear it now. <laughs> Have you ever heard Sheena Easton talk? Yes, I interviewed her once. <laughs> Woo, woman is from Scotland. She sure is, and so's her voice. <laughs> What year did you interview her? Uh, 1989. Did a phoner with her. Oh, okay. And it was all brogue all the time. All right, but have you heard her since? I guess not. She sounds like she's from Southern California now. Really? Yeah. Now, I don't know if it's something that she's consciously adopted or what, but you can't can't place Sheena Easton anymore. You guys, kids, Sheena Easton was a pop star in the 1980s. A lot of hits. If you saw uh, the Prince concert film Sign of the Times. She's in it. She's in it. Right. She's got the look. She, you got the look. Um, oh, no, it was it was Nicole Kidman. I recently rewatched Rabbit Hole for oh, Breakfast right. All Day. Right. And she's doing American Voice the whole time. And then she and Aaron Eckhart get into a big yelling match about like how their child died. And, oh. and she says something like, I didn't lock the gates or something. And I was like, ah. <laughs> Out it comes. <laughs> I have a I have a little uh, 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 intermission here before we dig into the next movie. All right. Uh, Scott Mendelson wrote a really fascinating piece for Forbes about the tenth anniversary of the Avengers. 
where he basically okay. well no, no no don't roll your eyes at me i'm already doing it no but here's the thing all right he basically observed that the success of that movie taught hollywood all the wrong lessons well yeah that everybody suddenly was like oh we have to create these intertwined self-connected self-contained right. universes which yeah. led to like the Zack snyder movies the dark universe from you know universal that right. whole attempt yeah. um and like several other things and it, it i was reading the piece and it made me think about a book i talk about quite frequently on here roadshow about how the success of mary poppins and the sound of music led all the movie studios in the 60s to right. bleed money right. on mega musicals that nobody wanted to see. Right. And, uh, and so Song of Norway. For instance. That was a cheaper one, actually. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, so it, just, it would kind of, you know, it is that thing where like this one movie will come along and do this huge thing. And the takeaway that people have from it very often right. is missing the point of why it works. Right. And then they like, you know, again... The, the the idea of trying to make money by chasing a thing that already happened yeah. is in itself a mistake yeah. that Hollywood does all the time, but even more so to to, to chase the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it's an interesting piece. You should read it. Why don't you, speaking of intermissions, yes. why don't you talk about The Duke? Mm. Because you went to see The Duke the other day. I did. Alone. I did. All by yourself. I did. Like a big boy. <laughs> You didn't need me there holding your hand. It was a Saturday afternoon. And, and you I, wanted to get away from me. I did. I needed to get out of the house. Get away from me. Uh, I thought about going to see the bad guys, but I did not want to be the guy going by myself to the kid movie at a matinee. On That's a Saturday. Just, yeah, I, you know, it would feel like John Waters going to see the Care Bears. I will never get over the trauma. <laughs> Baby geniuses, right? Of having to go see... <laughs> Because they didn't have a press screening. Of course not. I had to go to the Beverly Center to see uh, Super Babies, <laughs> colon, Baby Geniuses 2, yes. starring Scott Bayo. Isn't Kathleen Turner in there? I don't remember. <laughs> I try to forget everything that happened. <laughs> but it broke me. Not only is the film diabolically bad. Right. Like John Voight's in it. Too. Mm. Like just every... Terrible person. But it was me alone with my little notebook and a scattering of moms and little, little children. All of them looking at me like, who are you? What are you doing here? Sir, this is a children's movie. And I'm like, yeah, believe it or not, I'm getting paid <laughs> to be here. I'm at work. I'm at work. And I don't want anything to do with any of you <laughs> or this film uh but yeah the looks you get are not they're not worth whatever yes. it could be a great movie it's not worth it so instead of no. being the oldest person at the bad guys i was instead the youngest person at the duke <laughs> uh which is the last film uh from director roger mitchell okay best known for notting hill Yes. Who passed away recently. Yes. Uh, it stars Jim Broadbent uh, as a real person, a guy named Kempton Bunton, who was uh, ostensibly a cab driver, but mainly somebody who had a lot of causes. Uh, he liked to, like, you know, rally round things, make a lot of noise, while his wife, who's played by Helen Mirren, like, cleaned other people's houses and kept the household afloat. Right. Um, 
when we enter into this film in the early 60s, his big cause is the, the uh, television licensing fee that everybody in Britain has to pay to underwrite the BBC. And he is trying to make the case that it's unfair to older pensioners and war veterans, uh, you know, gets into a big kerfuffle with the police, like makes a big show of removing this one coil out of his TV so that he can only get ITV. Right. And he can't get the BBC, so he shouldn't have to pay for a thing that he's not using. Right. Um, anyway, so the, uh, the British government pays all this money to get this Goya portrait of the Duke of Wellington. They install it in the National Gallery, and uh, he steals it and hides it and basically uh, doesn't, like, demand a ransom or anything, but he keeps writing these letters saying, look, I've got the portrait and, you know... I, I want you, you know, the money that you bought, that you spent on this painting could have gone to like buy licenses for people and da, da, da. Um, and of course, eventually he gets caught and goes to trial. And uh, it's just this very kind of fun, you know, charming British eccentrics movie, you know. You came home from it. Uh -huh. <clears throat> and very much like I always do, I ask you, how was the movie? <laughs> And you said, cute. <laughs> and you like walked out of the room. <laughs> I'm like, okay. I mean. So he, basically what you're saying is, it was cute. It's and cute. I, that if my mom were still alive. Oh, for sure. This would be uh, our Saturday matinee. This is such a take your, with me to see. This is such a take your mom movie. Anybody's mom. Um, because when my mom and I used to meet once a month. Mm-hmm. She lived on the other on the she lived on the far northeast side of Dallas, and I lived on the uh, in the, in Fort Worth. Yeah. So we would meet in the middle at North Park Mall, right, and go see a movie, have lunch, and she'd take she'd take a little spin around Neiman Marcus to mm. see if she you know felt like shopping. Yeah. See what's up. And um. And the best compliment. The best review from my mother after a film was that was cute. <laughs> that was that was the highest praise. That was so cute. It's very charming. Yeah. He gets a uh, Broadman gets a big speech at the end that's almost Capra esque. Okay. And it's it's a, it's a great cast. I mean, besides Broadbent and Helen Mirren, their son is played by Finn Whitehead. Um, I can't wait to watch it on a Saturday afternoon. When I'm feeling very lazy. I think you will enjoy on it. On television. I, I'm only just <laughs> now. streams. <laughs> I'm only just now realizing and looking at the IMDb page. Oh, yeah. Well, the, his, his uh, Broadbent's attorney is played by Matthew Good. Yes. Who's like, who, the, 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 the barrister that he's playing in real life, and they mentioned this in the movie, it was married to Dame Peggy Ashcroft. Oh. <laughs> yeah. The guy who plays the judge in this movie, who I did not recognize. Is Dame Peggy Ashcroft. Exactly. You know, because of the wigs and all. <laughs> James Wilby. Remind me. He's Morris in Morris. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's cute. I recommend it. Take your mom. Mother Day, Mother's Day is coming it's, up, right? It, it is. When, you, is. when is Mother's Day? It's uh, May. Our moms are dead, so we don't is. remember when Mother's they Day are. is anymore. May 10th, I want to say. Uh, no, not the 10th. Hang on. Uh, the 8th. May 8th. Sunday, okay. May 8th. Yeah. So yeah, you could do worse than taking your mom to see the Duke. Um, the uh, unless she's more that she would rather see the Northmen, you know. But 
The Duke uh, might, you know what? Your I'm, mom might I, be the Northman. Cowboy. I don't know your mom. mom yeah, no. Maybe. No. I mean, tell your mom I said, hey. <laughs> and no, we are never seeing Father Stew. <laughs> oh, my God. Father Stew. <laughs> somebody, no. Po- somebody posted an ad or something on. I'm not seeing that. I'm not seeing, not seeing the, the turf movie. I'm not seeing any of that stuff. No. Somebody posted an like an ad or something for Father Stew that, that they had found online, where it had two blurbs and they were both from Twitter people. Okay, great, <laughs> cool. Enjoy that, mm. Mr. Wahlberg. All right, Petite Momo. Oh. oh, explain. Okay, yeah, right. uh, this is Celine Siama's follow up to Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yeah. Much smaller scale, but no less emotionally powerful. Mind you, it is the month of April, 2022. Yes. But this film has been kicking around festival situations. I reviewed it last February (laughs) when it premiered at Berlin. And then year-end awards consideration runs, which like took place for a week, I guess, here in New York and Los Angeles. Yeah. Here in Los Angeles and New York. Right. And... um. So, like, film critics all over the place are like, oh, Petite Maman, one of the best films of 2021. Meanwhile, no one can see this movie. No. Other than film critics or people who live in big cities who jump ran right out, out and ran out and spent that week going to see a film that was only going to play in their city for one week for awards qualifications. But now it's officially, finally opened in the United States. Yes. At least in New York and Los Angeles and a few other places. And we'll roll out yes. to the rest of the country uh, and then eventually stream probably pretty quickly. Um, I'm guessing. I guess. Yeah. yeah. I don't. I mean, it depends on how the rollout goes, I imagine. Because uh, if they can still, if there are markets they can get to where they think they can get a decent theatrical, then they'll they'll hold off on, on making it available. For, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so it is, it's it's Celine Sciamma's new film and it, it's about 70 minutes yeah, it's about as long as Dumbo. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, the OG Dumbo, not the not the Tim Burton not the weird no. live action one. So anyway, it uh, you know it's it's about a young girl named Nellie, and her grandmother dies, and she and her parents go to the grandmother's house to clean it out. The mother leaves, leaving the 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 dad and the the young young Nellie there. Uh, but before she leaves, she tells Nellie about how when she used to play in the woods and make forts out of, you know, tree branches and that kind of thing. And the next day, Nellie goes out into the woods and she sees a fort made out of tree branches. And she sees a girl there who looks a great deal like her. And it's her mother as a young girl. It's her mother as a young girl. Yes. Yeah, you just swallowed all of those words. And I want to make sure that people understand what okay. you were just trying to say. Yeah, it's the title of the film. And uh, so Nellie gets to know her mother as a child and see her grandmother, you know, when she was the, you know, when she was a mom, when, you know, uh, and taking care of her own mother. And it is just one of the most hauntingly beautiful films about family relationships, mother-daughter relationships, what happens to us when we get older, what we think is going to happen, what we think about the people who raised us and whether or not they were ever in our shoes, our tiny little child shoes. Right. right. Um, yeah, it's it, it's a 
absolutely beautiful film. It was on my top ten list of 2021. Right. Uh, and so I'm, and I'm only just now getting around to seeing it. Yeah, I'm thrilled yeah. now that people are finally getting to see it. So the daughter Nellie and the and the young version of the mother Marion are played by two sisters. Yeah, uh, Josephine, Josephine and Gabriella Sands. Gabrielle. Gabrielle. Are they twins? They appear to be twins. They look very much alike. Uh, I have heard I've heard them described as twins, and I've also heard them described as not. So I'm not sure. They look about about the same age, and they look so much alike that it feels like they are twins. Uh, here's what's this whole film hinges on these two children. And when I tell you that a film stars two nine-year-olds. Your first response might be the same one that Madeline Brand gave us last week when we started talking about it. And she's like, ugh, cute kids don't like it. Right. And I was like, guess what? Me neither. <laughs> uh, so much of what filmmakers expect from child actors is a lot of, you know, oh, the wonder of it all, that kind of mm. stuff. And that is what children are often directed to do to do in films to be you know to cutely misunderstand things and to be like or wise beyond their years innocent or or saying 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 you know inadvertently wise yeah. precocious stuff these two kids first of all they've got serious little faces mm. they are not here to be cute or mug for the camera child actors are often sort of directed to be sort of like outsized uh personalities adorable or personalities these are low-key serious face kids and their performances are supernaturalistic not showy in any way and their sweater game is on And they've got points. great sweaters. <laughs> so great. <laughs> so I want those in my size. <laughs> um, it's a quiet, very quiet movie about, it's actually about grief. Yeah. And, but unlike, now if you are from the 90s, and you remember another French film about a child Oof. who is grieving, uh, you, may re- you may recall a movie called Ponette that will... Put your heart in a wood chipper and leave you gasping for air by the time it's over. That is not this film. No. Ponette starred a four-year-old yeah. who was somehow directed to cry uncontrollably from start to finish. Yeah. And she did it. Uh, and didn't she win an acting award? I, from she did, like at a Berlin at or a Venice major or festival, Cannes yeah. or somewhere like that. Um, Victoire TV Soul, I think yeah. is her name. Um, that's also not this film. This is not a film about the grief process. It's a film about learning where you come from. Yeah. It is not uh, sentimental, although it is very tender. And it's thoughtful and it's intimate and it's, again, so very brief in, in terms of its running time. But that is because every scene is so precisely calibrated. Um... And you go with the fantasy element of it, including the fact that the father can see the young, the young mother. Yeah. Um, 
And he doesn't question who she is. He doesn't know who she is. Um, but it's, built, it's a film, as you said, it's about coming to understand who raised you and how they were. Were they like you? You know, when you get to be an adult, you'll realize, oh, no, you're becoming a whole lot like them. <laughs> All that stuff that you thought, I'll never be like my dad. Well, oh, guess what? You're going to guess what you are. Exactly. You're going to be like your dad. Um, yeah, I've never seen a film quite like this where the idea of who were your parents when they were your, when they were your little size, right? you know, and were they, did they have the same questions? Were they afraid of the same things? Were they sad about the same thing? It's so, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, I, I love this movie. I'm so glad you finally saw it. All right. We were going to talk about Saturday fiction and hit the road, but we're going to save those for next time because we're running out of time and you have to go be on maximum film. And hit, and the, hit the road is. We have letters to read. There's so, many, so much to do. Only in New York City. May 6th, it expands to LA and yeah, San Diego. Both, so. both Saturday fiction and hit the road are playing, I guess, only in Los Angeles and New York. Hit the road is only in New York right yeah. now. Um, you don't like Saturday Fiction. I think it's really good. You're going to love Hit the Road. Uh, I am going to watch it before we record. And um, and it yeah we I those will be on next week's uh, agenda. Mm. We have letters. Uh, Benjamin says, "What does Benjamin say?" Mm-hmm. Where is that letter from Benjamin? <laughs> Why did I had it and now I can't? You knew Benjamin wrote one. Oh, you know what I did? I didn't save it as new. Here we go. Oh. Okay. First, Dave, you are a masochistic dummy for not using the microwave defroster to separate your kelp burgers. Just like 12 seconds are all you would need. Okay, you're right. I'm wrong. My finger's fine, though. Okay. I put Band-Aids and Neosporin on it after stabbing myself in the finger. Also... Trying to separate frozen kelp burgers. Benjamin, to be fair to Big Dumb Dave. Yes. We don't have a microwave. We don't have a microwave, <laughs> but we have the, the, the Kelly Clarkson oven, and, and that could basically function in the same yeah, way, more or less, kind of, sort of. Uh, second, Alonzo may have missed something about Ty West's movie since his overall oeuvre, God, I hate saying that word out loud. Oeuvre. Uh, goal seems to be, let's make real grindhouse films unlike those idiots Rodriguez and Tarantino. <laughs> it's Opinions Day. Yeah. Third, Geostorm, 10 capital, 10 exclamation points. That's true. Yeah. Every one of those exclamation points is is a true fact about Geostorm. (laughs) Fourth, I agree with Dave's reading about comic book films and that while he tires of them, he captures the intended themes correctly. Uh, Many reviewers seem to just lap up the new milk they get from a few mega studios. (laughs) That's true. Now, Benjamin also commented on Patreon about the documentary Other Music. 
Mm. And I want to read that comment because I need more information. <laughs> he says, other music was not in competition with Tower Records because it was the spinoff from Tower Records with its, quote, new indie rock curation absent from the larger Tower's record chain. Think Fox Searchlight coming from 20th Century Fox or Focus coming from Universal. A 1990s and 2000s corporate contrivance made to look homemade. It was full-on Kevin's mom BS. <laughs> the movie might be lovely, but the place wasn't. Oh, full-on Kevin's mom is a Soundgarden song, by the way. Just ah. point of reference. Um, and then I commented back on Patreon. Okay, now I need to know more because this is news to me. And I've gone to the internet to look for this information, and I cannot find it anywhere. So, Benjamin, tell me more. Because if this is a thing, I, I gotta know. What are the other music horror stories that we... I gotta know? know! You've left me hanging with a, a bomb. You drop a bomb. And walk away. Yeah. You just walk, walk. I have to know these things. Please. 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 All right. More letters. Yes. Uh, Larry says, I liked Moonfall. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I was laughing consistently throughout. I know I was laughing at the movie, but I was laughing nonetheless, and I had a pretty damn good time. There's something to be said for that. So did we. Uh, Larry says, regarding X, Alonzo, I don't think you have the right take on the old couple and the sex. These weren't just an elderly couple having sex. These were old, scary, gross, evil weirdos with murderous intentions. That's why their sex scene is so gnarly, in my opinion. They were extra gross to look at, not just a couple of regular old people. I think West was going for a visceral reaction with that extreme, not just the notion that old people would have sex. Well, I, like four or five different people have reached out to me in various uh, channels to let me know that I was wrong about X. And all of them are correct. And weirdly, even their reasons why I'm wrong aren't all the same. Oh, funny. <laughs> so, fine, whatever. You know, that was my take. If you disagree, whatever. Uh, JD is going to tell us about who John Bradley played on Game of Thrones. Oh. The guy from Moonfall, Moonfall. and Marry Me. Yes. Not Josh Gad. John Bradley's character on Game of Thrones was a kindly nerd who dates a single mom and helps take care of her kid. He's one of the few nice people in that show's world. Mm. He's really good on the show. I haven't seen him in much else. The separation of two frozen veggie burger patties is one of the great challenges facing mankind today. <laughs> Dave is not the first to fall in that struggle. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and and thank you too. There was another listener who pointed out that that yes, he was a nice guy on, on Game of Thrones, and he was Jon Snow's friend. Greg says, "Heard your guesses about John Bradley's role in Game of Thrones. Thought I could give you a better synopsis." Oh, here we go. Yes, he plays Samuel Tarly, the best friend of our hero, Jon Snow. <laughs> Sam is bookish and shy, a member of the Night's Watch, because his father was ashamed that he wasn't all testosterone and, and chopping off heads with swords. Sam eventually studies to be a meister, basically a medieval monk and a keeper of secrets, but he also meets a nice lady. <laughs> Long story short, Sam Waltarley's not meant to be annoying. He's the sweet guy everyone loves in a dark fantasy world filled with evil jerks. 
Okay, so this means that John Bradley is a versatile actor. Yes. He can play a nice person on Game of Thrones and an annoying person in the two films that I've seen him <laughs> in. He's got it all. So he's talented. This is what we've learned. Uh, Shoddy would like to talk about The Souvenir Part 2. Mm. Sorry, I'm a little late, but I just watched The Souvenir Part 1 and Part 2, and they quickly became my favorite movie of the year. Here's why. Number one, wasting your youth on literally the most toxic person in the world? <laughs> Check. <laughs> then go off to make a mediocre piece of art to process that pain? Check. <laughs> Have a bajillion empty philosophical conversations about your super deep art project? Check. Squander away every ounce of charity from your saintly parents? <laughs> Check. <laughs> <laughs> Souvenir is not a movie, it's a docudrama that perfectly captures the young adulthood of a bourgeoisie. <laughs> Thank you for your time. <laughs> Her parents are so loving and kind and generous in this like and and she's like, I need ten thousand pounds to finish my movie, and the mom's like, Okay. Like <laughs> And stop stifling me, mother. <laughs> Uh, okay, those are the letters. We're done. We're <sighs> Thank done you all for listening. Hey, all, we have a Patreon. Yeah. At patreon.com slash linoleum knife, where you get extra things. Yes. Us talking more about food, about more television, things. about yeah. movies in, uh, in detail, about, you know, politics and whatnot and goofy stuff, uh, plus club meetings, plus... Uh, daily recommendations uh, and the LKRX, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of things, starting at as low as a dollar a month, but you'll want to go higher because you'll want more. Uh, and that's at patreon.com slash linoleum knife. And um, yeah, thank you for listening. Check out uh, my other podcasts. Uh, Breakfast All Day over on uh, YouTube, um, Max Film, uh, Maximum Film on the Maximum Fun Network. By the way, it is Max Fun Drive. And so uh, if you wanted to become a new or... Um, the other thing where you what's what's not new where you upgrading, pledge, upgrading. You thank upgrade, you a newer upgrading yeah. member now is the time to do it at maximumfund.org slash yeah. join uh and of course mondays i'm uh on breakfast all day with uh with bran and this next monday we are talking about 1959's mexican santa claus and i cannot wait to see what he thinks of that uh <laughs> like, i think he's gonna really dig it i hope because it's so cool i i hope so it For is, the sake of our friendship, it is one of the few, uh, one of the few movies from Mystery Science Theater three thousand, or rather, one of the few films that was brought to my attention because of Mystery Science Theater three thousand mm-hmm. that I've gone and watched the complete film, not just the edited version for comedy's sake that right. they that they always did. Uh, and I've watched it almost every year at Christmas time since then. And every year, I become more and more convinced that it is a surrealist masterpiece. Yeah, yeah, I've definitely turned a corner on that. One, so <laughs> that'll be fun to talk about. Uh, so yeah, and uh, you know, check out our all of our friends on the internet, the one our wonderful uh, family of of podcast pals. And um, in the meantime, you can subscribe to us for free at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five star review. We will read it on the air. Uh, thank you, Blue, for our wonderful theme music that has all of our neighbors scratching their heads. Uh, he is at uh, blue b l e u dot bandcamp dot com. 
Uh, he's got a new album called Six Tape. He just announced he's doing a 20th anniversary concert for his amazing album Redhead this August in um, Cambridge, Massachusetts. So if you're around for that, you don't want to miss that show. Uh, you can follow us online at Linoleum Cast on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, Facebook. And drop us a line at linoleumpodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back next time with more. Until then. Goodbye. <laughs>